This week on Across the Peak, Rich and I are going to tell you how to put together a toolkit to fix your life and all the shit that's broken in it. Welcome to the Across the Peak podcast, the show where Rich and Justin discuss preparedness, the birds and the bees, guns, history, tattoos, and well, basically all the stuff your old man should have taught you. Rich Brown's a failed 70s child actor, retired Marine Corps officer and former cop. Justin Carroll, he's a washed up former special operator, half-assed author, and adventurer at large. Learn life skills, harden the fuck up, and become a dangerous man. Get your damn boots on, gents, because we're going across the peak rich what's going on buddy my brother i am just sitting here sipping on a glass of scotch and talking to you pal talk what, what kind of scotch you drinking man i was afraid you was gonna ask me that <laughs> is it i bet it starts with a g and i bet it's hard to pronounce Actually, no. It's um, it's one of my guilty pleasures. Um, it's a it's very cheap scotch. Which is it? Kirkland brand scotch from uh, from BJ's or uh, Costco? No, it's it's Teachers <laughs> Highland Cream. You ever had any? I've not, and I think you know this. I haven't really ever drank a whole lot of scotch, and I don't really know the first thing about it. So. Well, this one is a. It doesn't have an age statement on it. It's blended, but it's blended with mostly peated malts, which I'm a huge uh, peated Scotch fan. And most peated Scotches, as anyone will know, come from Islay uh, on the western coast of Scotland, and they're very expensive. But Teachers is not. It is not expensive, and it is actually really good. So you know what, man? That's the thing I find uh, a lot. And I'm a bourbon guy. You know that, but. You don't always get exactly what you pay for. You, there's not always a direct correlation between cost and how good something is. And we, that's probably a whole other episode that we should talk about. Like, you can get some pretty good stuff in like that, I don't know, I guess depending on what part of the country you're in, that 30 to $40 price range or whatever. Yeah, I have a whole rant about, va- you know, value proposition and how humans are like the only animal that that ascribe value to things that aren't truly a resource that have a caloric content to it or help them, you know, uh, have offspring or whatever. And, you know, we can pick up a seashell and go, this has value. Oh, wow. I've got five of those. I guess I'm richer than you. But uh, it's the same reason that, you know, Ivy League schools have billion dollar endowments and really don't need to charge the exorbitant prices that they charge, but they do it because, the minute they lower the price, for whatever reason, people are going to assume the educational value isn't there. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And that kind of bugs me to no end, the endowments that some of these schools have, and as wealthy as they are and the exorbitant rates they still charge, and the very, very limited uh, opportunities they have for people that just outright cannot afford to go to that school. And like that, I mean, that was definitely me, like a large, you know, large part of my very poor education is the fact that, I mean, my, no one in my family had ever been to college and definitely no one could afford to send me to college. So, um, uh, yeah, I, I'm with you, man. That, that, that's a whole other rant. That's, that's probably an episode two. It absolutely is, and I'll uh, I'll save a lot of the content I got for for that uh, day we re- we put that episode together. But anyway, while like while we're here, before we move on, tell me about what is that peat flavor like? What does that come across as? Would that be like the smoky, smoky? Like what does the peat impart into the scotch? Because I legitimately don't know. Yeah, that, that's a that's a great question, and I was not a fan of peated scotches until someone and until I took a trip to Scotland and I really got immersed in what exactly you were. Now, real peat snobs will look at uh, parts per million on the peat content in the scotch. I don't really nerd out like that. I like uh, Lagavulin in sixteen years, my probably my favorite, and then Arbig, and there's a there's a couple other peated scotches, but what's um, log of not, I already said that anyway. They're they're all my like my three favorite distilleries are all like within two miles of each other on the um south side of Islay. And I just love the the smokiness of it when I pop a cork on a good peated scotch. 
my wife will, can smell it in the bedroom. Like, oh, you're either starting a fire or you've opened a bottle of Lagavulin. No kidding, man. Yeah, it's an amazing uh, taste that that adds to it. And it's almost like, for me, who takes a great pride in my Scottish heritage, it's like I'm drinking the, the earth, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool, man. Um, well, I'll, I'll, you know, you and I will probably be hanging out here in the near future. You're going to have to introduce me to that. Oh, I'm going to turn you on to it, brother. You'll never be the same. Change your life. I don't know, man. I'm, pr- I'm pretty committed to that, uh, that Kentucky bourbon made right here in the good old U.S. of A. I'm a huge bourbon fan. I was a bourbon guy for years until I, I got onto the scotches. And, and I had bourbon last night. I, and then I'm still drinking on that Booker's that you brought down here a few months ago. Man, that's good stuff. No doubt. Well, that was a that was a while back. Yeah, uh, you know me, man. I'm uh, all American. I like my coffee black and my tea in the harbor. <laughs> True. <laughs> yeah. No. No. I mean, I I just uh, I don't know. About two years ago, I kind of lucked into bourbon, and somebody's like, "Hey, have a drink of this." And I'm like, "Man, that just hit me right." And I'm like, "I'm gonna I'm gonna follow up on this," and I and I have. So that's I don't know. I I, like, I say I just lucked into it because boy, I've had. You don't have a lot of bad ones. Um, well, I guess you do have some bad ones, but yeah, but they're they're pretty few and far between compared to other whiskeys. And I have to agree with you know Ron Swanson has a saying that uh, clear liquors are for rich women on diets or something like that. <laughs> yeah, and I absolutely uh, subscribe to that theory. But I will tell you, man, uh, have you ever seen that Netflix documentary Samoyer or Sam? No, I haven't. Brother, and for the listeners out there, run to Netflix tonight and watch the episode, the uh, documentary Psalm, and I think they've got a second one out now, and they follow this group of men that are trying to become sommeliers, and to become a master sommelier is the hardest exam on the planet. It's like a 99% failure rate, and they know everything there is to know about spirits, and I don't have the palate to be a sommelier, or at least I don't when it comes to wines. Differentiating wines is always a challenge to me, but when it came to bourbons and scotches, I have a very refined palate, I think. So I don't know why it would be different, but it is. And I know we're here to we're not here to talk about wines, which is a shame. Maybe we'll do an episode on that. For fuck's sake, dude, we've been talking for half an hour about booze. We probably know, like, are way too interested in alcohol. But anyway, it's fun to talk about. Yeah. So I guess we should go ahead and get into the topic, which is how to put together a basic toolkit. And this is a thing I feel pretty pretty dang passionately about, Rich. This is, a, like, I think every every person or every household, maybe I should say, should have a basic toolkit in your house. And... Further, I think you should have some basic tools in your in your vehicle, and and we'll cover that separately in a separate episode. Uh, but I think every household, whether you are a whether you're a, a family of four and you're the head of the household, whether you are a single man living alone, a single woman living alone, a widow or widower living alone, you should have some basic tools to take care of some basic things. There's one thing that drives me absolutely crazy on a day-to-day basis. There's a couple of things. There's a lot of things, quite honestly. There's a I'm lot only, of things, yeah. Yeah. I'm only going to talk about a couple of them here. And uh, one of those is, hey, can I use your knife? And it's like, hey, I, you know, I, I didn't go to school for four years to carry a knife. You just go buy one, get your own fucking knife. Um, yep. which I always handle a little more politely. Um, I, I always just pretend I don't know what they're talking about. Um, but get your own knife, dude. Like if you need a knife all the time, go buy a knife. It like, I, I'm not going to buy it for you. You're not going to use mine. You're not going to screw my knife up. Like, cause I guarantee you don't care as much about my knife as I care about it. Um, have like have a tool have your own tools whatever occupation you're in whatever thing you work in and chances are even if you work in an office and the biggest like challenge you face on a day-to-day basis is risking a paper cut you probably still need to open packages from time to time you should probably have a knife somewhere lying around swiss army knife doesn't have to be a you know the rambo three knife but you should probably have some sort of knife but that's that's one thing that bugs me to know and the other thing probably more germane to this conversation is when I go over to somebody's house and let's face it, man, there are a lot of people. And I, I assume there always have been because 
since we became agrarian in nature and centered around cities because we could we could out like our our production capacity outpaced like like we didn't have to move around to find food any longer um there have been people who started to specialize in certain things like baking bread or building houses or whatever so probably since we became centralized like societally there've probably been people that don't know how to I don't know. I'm trying to think of something you would do to an ancient house, but I hate going over to somebody's house and there's something obviously wrong. That's a really, really easy fix. And I'm like, Hey man, you got a, you got a pair of pliers and a screwdriver. We could, we could fix that up real quick. And uh, I wouldn't rip my jeans on it next time I walk by it. Uh, and they don't have any kind of tools laying around. That drives me insane, dude. Yeah. It drives me freaking bananas too, man. And um, we, I could go all day on the knife thing because my dad has, you know, he says, you're not a man if you don't carry a knife. And he carries two. So uh, we're going to talk about tools. And it, do you have a quote for the day? If not, I have a really cool one. <laughs> yeah, go for it, man. Okay. I'm a big uh, Parks and Rec fan. Uh, somebody turned us on to that, my wife and I, about a year ago. And we watched, binge watched it and thought it was hilarious. And um, I bear a striking resemblance to uh, uh, Nick Offerman's character, Ron Swanson. (laughs) Oh, no, you don't, man. You're more of a Tom. Oh, thank you. I've seen you. (laughs) (laughs) Tom. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I'm Tom. Oh, anyway, anyway, go ahead. You're going to pay for that one. All right. So um, one of the Ron Swanson quotes is, no home is complete without a proper toolbox. Here's April and Andy's. A hammer, a half a pretzel. (laughs) <laughs> baseball card, some cartridge. And a flashlight full of jelly beans. Yeah, some cartridge. You know the quote. Yeah, some cartridge that says Sonic the Hedgehog, a scissor half, and a flashlight filled with jelly beans. <laughs> but but Man, let, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say that is one of my absolute favorite episodes of Parks and Recreation. And I'm a huge fan. My... A, a, a good friend and I got into that. Man, we've we've watched it. I don't know, probably four times through now over the years. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, you you talked about um, how people have been, since we become agrarian and we domesticated animals and we got into farming communities, et cetera, that people stopped specializing. And I would throw out there, when I had my DNA tested, one of the things that I discovered is... um, I, my mitochondrial DNA that I, of course, got from my mother is the same mitochondrial DNA as Otzi, the Iceman, that uh, 5,000-year-old guy they found up in a glacier in the Alps, right? So that's kind of cool. We're, we're related. But when they found this guy, I mean, he had all the tools that someone who lived in his time would need. He had a copper axe. He had a longbow and a quiver. Uh, he had a flint dagger. He had a retoucher, which was some tool that he used to sharpen flint blades. He he had all kinds of tools with him. So when I hear stories like you're saying, Justin, you're in the, this office in the 21st century, and somebody's like, "Hey, bro, you got a knife? Go get your own freaking knife." Man, I yeah, I hear that all the time, and I do work in an office. I mean, it's not like I it, it's not like I work on horseback or something. You know what I mean? Um, but there's still right. like. Probably a knife is something I use almost every single day. While we're on this topic, I, we, we are still not to the main topic, but while we're on this, uh, yesterday I had some people over to the house. Uh, the dog was chewing on something in the floor, um, like kind of in a, like kind of back in a corner, like near the door where not a lot of light gets to. And I'm like, what is she chewing on? So I pulled out my, my little flashlight I carry in my pocket. It's a single AAA, tiny little flashlight turn it on to look at what she's carrying. And somebody's like, you got a flashlight in your pocket? And somebody else is like, oh, I was wondering if anybody's going to say anything about that. And I'm like, it gets dark every single day. Like, what? Like, I don't get what's so weird about having a flashlight in your pocket. I don't go anywhere without a flashlight in my pocket. And, you know, I, I a streamlight, uh, I think it's called a 1L or 2L. Uh, I forget the name of it, but. A phenomenal tool. And I tell people that, and I go, here you go. Start carrying one, and you tell me how many times a day you have, you pull it out and use it. It's it's unbelievable. Yeah, I carry it for years. I carry a Phoenix LDO2. It's, it's about the size of a tuba chapstick. And, yeah, 
it like between that and a knife, I use those tools pretty much every single day. And one of these days we'll do, we'll do an episode just about the crap that we carry in our pockets every day. Cause everything in my pocket is there for a reason. Uh, yeah. I have finite amount of space and every single thing I have there is selected and it's there for a, for absolutely for a reason. And those are tools, but I guess not the tools that we're going to talk about today, but yeah, like Ron Swanson said, every, every household should have a toolkit. So what do you, what do you got, Justin? Cause you're, you're really geeking. You geek out on the kind of stuff that you got in your tool bag, man. What do you got? Yes and no. Yes and no. Like, like I, I'm, I'm big on having the 80% of tools or the 20% of tools that will do 80% of right. the jobs. And if it's outside of that 80%, it's probably some something I need to call an expert, a plumber or an electrician or something. I don't have any electrical tools. I don't have any, uh, you know, I don't have any plumbing glue or anything, anything like that, any Teflon tape or any of that stuff. But um, I guess uh, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll post some pictures of it up on the show notes. Uh, that'll be at acrossthepeak.com slash E003. Uh, I'll make sure those are up on the show notes and you can check out what's in there, but a little bit of everything, man. And we'll, we'll like, as we get into this, I'll talk about what I think you should have. And I have all those things. I have a few more things that quite honestly, I, I needed for like one thing and I went and bought it and I mean, I'm not going to throw it out. So it's rattling around in okay, there. Okay, cool. So, um, where are we going to start? Well, I guess we should talk about, um, First, the kind of left and right lateral limits of this, kind of the rules of engagement. Uh, we could go into all sorts of specialty stuff. I don't think that's really, I don't think that's really super necessary or productive. I think we want to cover, you know, again that twenty percent of tools that'll take care of eighty percent of your problems. The really useful general stuff that you can use. You'll have all kinds of opportunities to use. Not the one thing that costs two hundred dollars that you might use twice the rest of your life. Um, we should also talk about uh, there's a wide disparity in the price of tools and in the quality of tools. And I'm curious to know your thoughts. I, I really am curious to know your thoughts of like where you fall on the spectrum of, at, of buying at the very, very high end and things like snap on tools, which are insanely expensive. But they're also like there is a corresponding level of quality there. Uh, versus buying something that's like maybe middle of the road and quote unquote good enough, like Craftsman or something, uh, down to buying like cheap, you know, like Harbor Freight or, you know, I don't know, whatever Kmart's brand of, of stuff is or Lowe's brand of socket sets or whatever. Like, what are where do you fall on that of buying absolute top quality, highest price through absolute lowest quality, but insanely affordable? I'm a buy quality guy, man, from whether we're talking about my eyewear or glasses or uh, firearms to tools. If I'm, if I'm going to spend the money and I know that I'm going to use it repeatedly, I'm going to spend the money. Now, not, I don't own any snap on tools, but I own a great deal of craftsman tools, you know, and I, and I'm not going to lie, you know, I've, I've bought some Harbor freight stuff because it is cheap and it's a one-time use. And it's like, I'm never going to use this specialty widget again, you know? So if, I'm going to buy it cheap, use it one time, throw it in the back of my garage, and if I need it some point down the road, I'll have it. But for something I'm going to use all the time, I'm kind of uh, toward the upper end of the echelon. Yeah. Now, I will tell you, there are people, there are a lot of people that will straight up turn up their nose at craftsmen um, in favor of something like Snap-on Tools. And, and man, there is a vast difference in price between like craftsman and snap-on stuff i don't i don't own any snap-on stuff and here's kind of how i look at that craftsman is craftsman or maybe um like stanley kind of veer, cobalt kind of veering toward the lower end or uh dewalt kind of you know edging up toward the higher end like those three are kind of in a range in that mid-range like for me, those tools, I, I don't use my tools every single day. I don't make a living with them. I'm not putting them under intense amounts of stress or anything of that nature. Those tools will in all likelihood last me the rest of my life. Um, I, you know, I'm not, you know, again, I'm I, like, if they break, I, I, I can replace them, but I'm not going to buy the you know, the 1899 socket set that goes on sale right before Christmas that somebody buys to, you know, for a, for like a gift exchange or something. 
Because that stuff's not going to last, man. Those sockets are going to be stripped out. Like you're going to be replacing that stuff pretty soon. So uh, I would say I would say buy good enough. Now I will say there are some exceptions to that. So um, you know, one good example is clamps. And I thought clamps, like wood clamps, I do I do a little bit of woodworking. I thought that was something you mm-hmm. could kind of cheapskate out on because it's a really simple thing. You've got basically a metal rod that has two, like a jaw on each end that, that you know, if you need to clamp two things together, waiting on glue to set or whatever, you run those two things together and then tighten it with a little hand crank and it holds it together, right? Well, I bought uh, I bought some, I don't know, seven ninety nine clamps at Harbor Freight and man, those things were absolute garbage and they wouldn't hold very tightly and if you got them too tight, it would break free and loosen up again. So I ended up buying the, I don't know, $24.99 DeWalt clamps. Uh, so they're, like clamps is not something that I'm going to put in this generalist toolkit, but there are exceptions to that. On the other side of that extreme, there are people I know that, um, you know, are in love with a certain tool, like a certain hammer, or a, you know. There are some extremely fine wood chisels you can buy out there that, you know, a couple hundred bucks a piece. But unless you're using that chisel every day, that's probably a waste of money, quite honestly. Yeah, and as you know, you know, my dad lives on our farm. He has a house next door. So for a long time, he and I would get out there in our wood shop and do a lot of woodworking. And we relied on a lot of clamps. And I can tell you, you're absolutely right. There is a huge disparity between a good clamp and a cheap clamp. And uh, and if if you're doing any kind of serious woodworking with glues and stuff, you're going to have to have clamps. But... That's not something that we're going to carry around in our tool bag. No, that's not, that. That is not one of those generalist tools at all, and that's that's going to be one of those specific things. Here's what I'd say: don't do. Don't, also, don't go out and buy one of those pink, you know, quote unquote, chick toolkits because those are almost always like just like people buy them because they're quote unquote for women, not because they're awesome tools. Um, and I know, actually, I know I can think of three of those sets that I have come in close contact with in the last. In a year, and all of them have been just absolute junk, man. Um, so I, I don't know, pick your range, buy what you can afford, but also realize you don't have to go to the absolute top end, absolute highest end to have tools that will last a long time and be good, high quality tools. So let's go ahead and get into this. And we are going to kind of cover this roughly in the order that you should think about buying this stuff. And we're going to break this out into two sets of stuff. So the first set. You could buy every bit of it for probably under 50 bucks, and we'll post links to some examples that we think are good to go in the show notes. Uh, the second set of stuff is going to be a little more advanced, and depending on like how high on that spectrum on certain items you want to go, you could probably spend another 100 to $250, $300 uh, on that stuff, again, depending on where you want to go. So I'm going to start out and say the first thing that you need is a toolbox or a tool bag. I have a Husky tool bag. Because it has a bunch of slots and loops and stuff for all my stuff to go in instead of it just being like thrown in the bottom of a box. Um, Unlike Andy and April, I don't think you should have your tools in a in a grocery store bag. What about you? No, you definitely want (laughs) to do not want to do that. And I would say, too, man, for the parents out there. One of the, if you really want to set your kids up for success as they move out of the house, I gave my daughter when she was the first one to leave the nest, I gave her a, a little tool kit, just like you're going to go over today. It wasn't some pink crap. It was exactly what we're going to discuss. I got her a tool bag and I put a set of tools in there for her and I did it for my son. And the other thing is, and this is probably an episode, is a good set of luggage. Oh man. You know, cause I tell you, yeah, I mean, set your kids up right and so pay attention to what Justin's going to go over here because I'm telling you, man, not only do you need it for your house, but if you're a parent, teach your kids how to use these tools, man, and give them a bag on the head out the door. Okay, so once you've got your toolbox, your tool bag, whatever it is, I think the first thing you need to throw in it is some screwdrivers. And there is an eight-piece set from Craftsman that's four uh, Phillips screwdrivers and four slotted or flathead screwdrivers, whatever you want to call it. And I think that is probably the thing you're going to use more than absolutely anything. Actually, I'll, I'll go you one better. I, I would have that set. But I also have a ratcheting screwdriver. I don't know where it is, what brand it is, where I got it, but it has a yellow handle that holds eight different bits, and each one of those bits is double-sided. So really, I have 18 screwdrivers in that one thing, and it ratchets. Um, 
that if I find if I find something similar to that, I will definitely post the link to that because that is the best, the most commonly used single tool that I have. But here's what you should do: don't get one screwdriver, don't get one slotted and one Phillips screwdriver, and call it good. You kind of need these to match up with different sizes. Um, would you agree with that? Dude, 100%. That, that is a common mistake. You know, what is the biggest screwdriver? Is that called the number one? I think so, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, so you're going to have to have different sizes of screwdrivers. I mean, that, that's that's without question. Because what's going to happen if you don't, Rich? <laughs> you're going to, well, it's just like the, the jeweler's uh, screwdrivers, you know. Uh, those are incredibly important, and, and you have to have it. You can't yeah. do it without it. Yeah, and the other thing is if you're using a screwdriver that's a little bit too s- small for the screw that you're trying to take out of something or put into it, I, I mean, it's bad either way, you're going to end up stripping that head out, and you're not going to be able to get that screw out without now investing in a much more serious set of tools and a drill. So use the correct size use and use good quality screwdrivers. You don't want bent tips. And while we're on this, uh, like every tool should have its job, and that's all you should use it for. Um, that screwdriver is not a chisel. It's not. Oh, yeah. I was going to say pry bar, uh, chisel. Yeah. It, it's a screwdriver. Use it for turning screws, and, and that's it. Like, ha, like ha, buy the right tool for the right job. Don't try to make something else work. Uh, so I, after screwdrivers, I would say the next big thing you need is some pliers. And and I've got four down here in the notes, four different types of pliers you might need. I say you probably get by with a couple of these, but I think you need a standard set of pliers. Uh, actually, you know what? I'm going to say if you're just going to buy one for around the house type stuff, probably I'd probably go with the needle nose for the around the house stuff because pulling staples out of the wall, um, like very light duty plier stuff. Plus most of your needle nose pliers have a decent set of wire cutters on them. Um, a standard set of pliers and a set of channel locks. That's probably your your minimum set of pliers. And and again, you want good quality here because if you don't have good quality, those teeth are going to wear down really quickly and lose their grip. Um, it, you you want to buy decent quality pliers, something with a nice like rubber dipped handle or something along there. Um, I actually I really really like Craftsman pliers. I have a I think a five set of pliers or something and then if you're going to get one more set of pliers make it a set of vice grips so vice grips allow you to adjust the size of the jaw and clamp it down in that position super super versatile vice grips and channel locks can frequently take the place of uh like wrenches where you probably should have a specific size of wrench sometimes those can fill in in a pinch for uh for wrenches of very specific size you know the one of the few tools i carried with me in combat was a pair of needle nose pliers with wire cutters on them because they just they can do so much and you know i'm a big fan of klein pliers have you ever used any kleins no i have not oh bro they're the you know my dad was a retired as a master electrician and so all we've got are Kleins, and they're like one pair of Klein pliers is probably forty or fifty bucks. I mean, they're 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 the best. All right, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna definitely look at right now. I'm seeing lineman's pliers, and yeah, man, it's pretty neat stuff. I'll check that out, and we will we'll post links to Klein pliers in the show notes. But I, I would say at a minimum, standard pliers, needle nose pliers, and channel locks. If you want to go a little bit further, throw in a set of five W vice grips. Probably good to go on pliers at yep. that point. Would you agree? Yeah, big fan. I've got a. Uh, have you ever seen these? They're kind of smaller, but they're like needle nose vice grips, and they have a multi tool on the handle. You ever seen those? Yeah, yeah. I've got I've got one of those. Those are those are awesome. All right, man. I know you know a lot about this next one. Why don't you take this next one? Well, I don't know that I know. I I think you're a former framer, my man. You're that's definitely your milieu. Yeah. So I think you should have a hammer and. Hey, let me let me tell you something real quick. You probably remember this. You know, of course, if you're a new listener, welcome aboard. Justin and I were both Marines. And I remember being a young Marine and, you know, my dad, who taught me how to work on cars and stuff, it always involved a hammer. There was always a hammer that got brought into the equation to work on an automobile, which sounds crazy. And at the motor pool with the Humvees, you can't just go and check out. You can go and check out any tool you want, but if you want a hammer, 
you know, somebody walks out there with a hammer because they don't want you beating on these Humvees, right? <laughs> okay. I yeah, I uh, I'll be honest, man. I never checked out a pull a tool from the from the motor pool, but that seems to make good sense. Which speaking of which, that brings up a really good point too. Um, for around the house, do you probably want people using a ball peen hammer? I would say no. I would agree with that. I think you just want a standard claw hammer that has a a hitting side and a clawing side, for lack of a better term. It's a bit like one side is to drive nails. That's what it's for. It's flat, uh, whereas a ball-peen hammer is going to be uh, rounded on one side. It'll be flat on the other, but it's not really intended for driving nails, typically much lighter. It's intended for metalworking and automotive applications, but... You want a, a basic framing hammer uh, with a claw on it. And that claw on the other side is actually to remove nails. Uh, it's it's actually for light um, demolition type duty. Um, you know, I, I've, I've done some roofing jobs. And, I mean, this is years and years ago. But roofers really like those claw hammers because if you start sliding off the roof, you got a chance of, you know, snagging that claw on something and uh, arresting your uh, your descent there. Um you don't need anything special. You don't need to go to Lowe's and pay $45 for an East Wing hammer. You don't need, or $60 for a DeWalt hammer. You just need a basic hammer with a claw somewhere in the 16 to probably 16 to 20 ounce range. You don't need a waffle head hammer. And that means on the striking surface of the hammer, there's a waffle pattern cut into it. And that's to gain a little bit more traction with the nail. I'm going to level with you guys. If you're using that on the inside of your house, it's going to leave, well, what what we used to call pecker tracks all over your drywall, all over your uh, your finished woodworking, all over whatever you're hitting inside your house. You don't want that. You just want a flat surface, a flat, smooth, striking surface. Uh, and a, I don't know, Rich, how much does a how much does a decent hammer cost? Ten, fifteen bucks. Yeah, absolutely. You can pick up a, a really good hammer for you know less than twenty bucks. Yeah, I, I'm not a super big fan of wood-handled hammers. I, I'm a, I tend to prefer fiberglass or some sort of composite hammer on the cheaper end. And, and if you're going with a higher-end hammer, I like a metal, uh, like a you know solid one-piece metal hammer. But that's going to cost you some money. You probably don't need that for around the house. So I would go with some sort of fiberglass hammer. I think they're generally fitted to the head of the hammer better, and you, you don't have to worry about that wood shrinking or cracking or breaking if you suck at using a hammer and you're always hitting the handle on stuff um i think they're just generally more durable than a wood handle well let me ask you on the hammer i hate to beat this thing to death no pun intended but do you like the straight or curved claws did we talk about that i like the straight claw i don't see a lot of benefit to the curved claw um unless you're maybe trying to work in a trying to pull out nails in a in a little bit tighter space I like the straight claw. Maybe there's something I'm missing on that, but I think it gives you advantages. I don't see any appreciable advantage to a curved claw hammer. Do you? No, not really. And the other thing is, you know, some people will, I think you mentioned, did you mention the fiberglass um, hammers? Uh, Fiberglass handles? Yeah, fiberglass handle hammer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, some people even like their, uh, the handles of the hammer. I know some contractors will make sure they're all orange so that the guys won't leave them laying around and stuff like that. But, you know, for what we're talking about, I don't think that the color matters at all, or maybe it does. I don't know. So next we got we got the hammer out of the way. Now what are we going to do? We gotta, we're going to cut something? Yeah, so I think, yeah, let's throw a couple of cutting tools in here. I think hacksaw is probably one of the most useful saws you can have around. And, I mean, when I was a kid, I'm not going to lie, I used to take the old man's hacksaw and cut everything under the sun with it. And that's not really what it's made for, right? No. <laughs> no. So uh, hacksaw is really made to cut metal. And there are, I find this incredibly interesting. I have a few of these. You can, if you really look, you can find 12-inch hacksaw blades that are more like bandsaw blades that are actually made to cut wood, which I find absolutely fascinating. Um, but a, a hacksaw is really intended to cut metal. And you might have a use for this. You might not. But if you need one, let me tell you, not much else is going to fix you up unless you got a reciprocating saw laying around or something along those lines. A hacksaw is one of those things when you need it, you need it. And further, I'll tell you, don't go to Harbor Freight and buy the $3.99 hacksaw. It's, it's not. So a hacksaw basically works. It's a frame 
that stretches that blade really, really tight. And if you don't get that blade really, really tight, or if that frame is hinged, like a lot of cheap hacksaws are, and you you can't really get that thing as tight as you want. And if you do, sometimes it'll end up popping off or the, the like the hinge will break. But if that blade is not super tight, it doesn't cut efficiently. It Every time you stroke that saw, that blade curves. It's imperceptible to human eye, but it curves a little bit. It doesn't cut efficiently. So this is, I'm probably going to spend 20, 25 bucks on my hacksaw. And I have, uh, I think I have a Stanley hacksaw and it's not absolute top of the line hacksaw, but man, a, a, a little bit goes a long way in this realm. And some other things I like about it, the top of the frame is really wide. It's actually a hollow aluminum tube and there's a little end cap that you can keep extra blades in there. Hacksaw blades, when they wear out, just change them. You're going to work yourself to death trying to use a worn out hacksaw blade. When it wears out, just change the damn thing. And and you know what? Hold on to it. We'll talk about some stuff you can do with it in the fire starting episode if we ever get to that. But So, um, so the hacksaw cuts metal and a bow saw cuts wood. But like you said, you can find, if you look hard enough, some specialty blades that, that you can put in your hacksaw to cut wood. But why would you want to? I mean, that... That's a pretty specific thing. And if you're really cool, like me, you'll have a bandsaw. And once you get a bandsaw, you don't use the hacksaw ever again. <laughs> yeah. And and like if you really wanted to get into this, so I have uh, I have several saws. I have a jigsaw, which is <clears throat> I have a jigsaw, which is an electric saw for a specific type of cutting. I have a circular saw, I have a table saw, uh, and then like non-powered tools, I have I, I, man, I found this awesome, super old handsaw at a yard sale. Actually, I didn't find it. I, that's a lie. My dad found it. He found two of them, bought both of them, and gave one to me, which I thought was pretty cool of my dad. Um, and it's super old. It's, it's, I've had it sharpened. It is a, I don't know if you can find a saw that good these days. I'm just going to be honest with you guys. So go to yard sales, uh, be that weirdo at a yard sale. And look for those old hand saws if you need to cut wood, if you need to do quite a bit of wood cutting. And that tool, again, right tool for the right job, that tool is really intended to cut dimension lumber, like on a very flat cut, fairly efficiently, would you say? Yeah, I would say. And I think your your recommendation to go garage selling for some really awesome tools is a phenomenal idea because oftentimes you'll have dad or grandpa passes away and this is a guy who's collected tools over the course of his lifetime. And when he passes away, the kids don't know what to do with this stuff. And you can get some amazing tools. I know I have at garage sales. Great you know, here's, here's Justin's story time. When I was a kid, my grandfather used to go to yard sales. And if he would find a broken craftsman tool, because there was a time, well, I'll get there. He would buy these broken craftsman tools and he would get them for a song because it's like, oh, well, it's a broken tool. Yeah. <laughs> You can have it most of the time, people would say, or take it for a quarter or whatever. And he would take it right down to Sears and trade it in for a brand new one. Because there was a time when Craftsman had a lifetime guarantee. Now they're Chinese-owned, and they weren't finding that was a very successful business model for them. So they don't don't quite do that lifetime guarantee thing anymore. They don't honor that any longer. But um, that was a great time to to do that stuff. They don't, but Cobalt does. Cobalt is owned by Lowe's, and Cobalt still does have a lifetime guarantee. I know you can walk in there with a broken Cobalt tool and no kidding, man, and get a new one just like it's like nothing. I was not aware of that. That's yeah, that's that's good to know. Well, it, you know, Cobalt I think is kind of the new craftsman. It's it's Chinese, yeah, but it's you'd have to look hard to find that that it's made in China. Uh, they're owned by Lowe's and exclusively marketed by Lowe's. And they have a lifetime guarantee. And so for the price point and the quality, and it's a lifetime guarantee, it's hard to go wrong. I mean, I'm not, I'm, we're not endorsing them, and they're not a sponsor. But if you want to sponsor Cobalt, give me a call. We'll talk to you. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll give you a fair hearing for sure. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> all right. Where, where the heck are we? Handsaw. That wasn't even on the list. You probably don't need a handsaw. Because your average homeowner is pro- or renter is probably not cutting a lot of dimension lumber. Uh, no. And actually, I would say if you're kind of an inexperienced homeowner, uh, whatever, and you need to cut dimension lumber on a straight cut, I would probably recommend a miter box mm. as your first saw purchase. 
uh, to make those super straight cuts or, or very precise angled cuts. I don't, I don't know how you feel about that. So miter box is a little, is basically a jig that the saw like goes into this little slot. Uh, you lift it up, you slide the wood in and that saw can't deviate from that angle. So you can set it basically from like 45 all the way over to 90 and keep it on a very precise angle. Yeah, they're great, man. Um, you know, of course here we've got a couple of different variety of, uh, table saws and some other stuff, but I mean, for your average homeowner, I'd say probably for the, you know, cut a piece of trim every now and then because maybe the dog tore it up. You, you can't go wrong with a, a little miter box. Anyway, we're getting, we're, we're, we're way off track and we're, I'm sure we're going way along. So you need a toolbox or a bag to put this stuff in. You need some screwdrivers. You need some pliers, a hammer, probably a hacksaw. I'm going to say if you're going to get one saw, I get a hacksaw. If you're going to get one more, probably get a handsaw and one more cutting tool a utility knife. And this drives me up the wall, man. Um, my, my man, my dad does this and my dad has some pretty nice pocket knives in his day. He cuts absolutely everything with that pocket. It doesn't matter what it is. He's going to try to cut it with his pocket knife. And then when he breaks the tip off from using it for a purpose it's not intended for, he's going to use that flat tip as a screwdriver. That's a value add. <laughs> a blade with a broken tip. Um, he's going to use that for a little screwdriver for stuff. Um, I'd say there's, first of all, there's a safety issue with that. Because if you're using a dull knife, and you are going to dull your knife pretty quickly if you're using it for everything, there's a safety issue with that. It's not efficient. You're using much more force than you need to use, and there's just much more chance for something to go wrong. You you want a sharp cutting instrument. Um, Also, again, right tool for the right job. Yeah, and you know, I know... This episode is is simply about you know a toolkit, and and perhaps because uh, I keep defaulting to what I use mostly as powered tools, and I think that needs to be its own episode because we can just really go down the rabbit hole there. But when it comes to utility knives, my dad is the same way. Like I said, he carries two knives. They're both very nice, very expensive case knives, and he uses them for absolutely everything. That's that's frustrating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that frustrates me just to hear it but yeah yeah you're you're absolutely right we should talk about power tools at some time we like man this is such a big topic and we're trying to keep it confined to something that you can put in a reasonably small package and throw under your kitchen sink or in your utility closet or, or whatever you got to have some crap on hand when you actually need it right so the last uh, two more things on this basic list allen wrenches because those are and you, you find those Allen screws, those hex head screws in absolutely everything. And I think you should have a set of those in metric and standard. Go to Lowe's. I think you can buy the dual pack of all the different sizes. It's not expensive. It's like 15 bucks, maybe 15, 20 bucks for this huge pack. Uh, and they're the ball headed ones that let you actually turn that on an angle. You don't have to be directly into like uh, directly in line with the screw head, you can be off at a little bit of an angle or I don't know, 15, 20 bucks. Like that, that's not that much money for something that's going to be that useful. I feel. Yeah. So we got all kinds of cutting out of the way. What are we going to do now? Um, so the last tool on this basic list, and I'm sorry, Rich, I didn't put this in the notes, but I would say if you have anything that's going to cause some sort of a safety issue in an emergency, for example, if you have natural gas or propane at your house and you require a tool to turn that off in the event of some sort of emergency, you should probably have that tool handy. Uh, yeah, I'm a huge fan of that. And that was one of those things, one of the reasons for having this podcast, one of the things my dad didn't teach me was how to turn the water off when you've got a busted pipe. And I mean, I literally, as a young adult, had no idea to do that, uh, how to do that. So if you don't know how to do that, you definitely need to learn. And you're probably going to have to have a water key to turn it off. And um, so you, maybe we can put one of those in the, in the show notes, Justin, a water key. And, and I have taken my family out there and shown them multiple times how to do that. And I'll put them through little drills. You got a busted pipe. What are you going to go do? And they grab the water key and they go turn that off. That's a great tip. What about, and I know it's not on the show notes either, Justin. What about PPE? Yeah, you should probably have some PPE. And I'm going to say at the at the baseline minimum level, that is probably going to consist of eye protection. And that should be, I'm going to say Z87 rated eye protection. 
Um, and that, that doesn't mean wearing your normal glasses or your normal sunglasses, right? No, absolutely not. And, and when we say PPE, and I apologize for the acronym, uh, personal protective equipment. So when we talk personal protective equipment, we're talking, like you said, safety rated eyewear, uh, perhaps gloves, ear protection. Um, what are some other things, Justin, I'm not thinking of? I would, I, man, for the stuff that I would say your average homeowner, like average entry level homeowner is going to get into a pair of gloves and I, you know, I like mechanics gloves They're leather. They're, they don't have a whole lot of electricity insulating property a little bit maybe. Uh, so I'm not going to mess with electrical stuff in those on, but just to prevent cutting my hands and that sort of thing, or, or, you know, general damage to my hands, those are good to have. Um, some iPro, some ear pro, if you're using power tools, which we'll talk about in a minute, because believe me, I'm completely deaf on one side of my head. That's not a, a cool thing. Um, and hearing goes a little bit at a time. Take care of your hearing, man. Um, and definitely take care of your eyesight because it goes all at once. Okay. Now we're going to have Rich's story time. So I got out of, I retired from the Marine Corps. I came home to the farm and, um, we had to grind something and I didn't have my eye pro around and I'm, you know, I, I can hardly hear too. So my sense of sight is highly important. And my dad's like, ah, I just grind it. You'll be fine. I'm like, nah, I really need to get my eye pro. And my dad's like, ah, just take a second. You'll be done by the, you know, it won't take but a second. I'm like, ah, dad, I really, and here I am 40 something years old, you know, and, and I let him because he's got, you know, he's my father. All right, I'll do it. And as soon as that grinder hit the metal, a piece of metal went right in my eyeball. And uh, yeah, I knew better. I knew better, and I was cursing Dude. myself the whole time. Oh. And, of course, we went to the uh, doctor and got it taken out. But luckily, it didn't damage my sight. But I'm like, I, I know better than that. Yeah. Man, protect your eyes. Like, that is no kidding. Everything's fine until it's not, and then everything's wrong. Well, like the the old joke, you know... Yeah, you'll put your eyes, or it's all fun and games until somebody loses an eye or something like that. And that's no joke. And if Justin and I can screw around and do it and we know damn better, anybody can. So listen up, protect your eyes. Uh, and, and to tell you, the other thing with the danger, Frank, he's part of our little woodworking trio. He's a uh, former Army guy, Purple Heart. Vietnam vet, 70-something years old, been doing woodworking his whole life. And him and my dad were down in the shop, and he was pushing a piece of wood with his hand into the bandsaw and almost cut all of his fingers off. So, guys, we cannot stress protection enough. Take care of yourself. Yes, definitely take care of yourself. Um, God, man, I, 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 could, I could definitely rant about that. I feel really, really strongly about this. And this is the thing, when you're 22... It's like, ah, whatever, I, you know, I'll be fine. Uh, until you're not, and then you're dealing with it for the rest of your natural life. So anyway, enough, enough ranting about that. I really feel strongly about that. Take care of your eyes. Take care of your ears. Always, at least. That stuff is not coming back once you lose it. So we talked, uh, recap, toolbox, some screwdrivers, various sizes, pliers of various types, hammer, hacksaw, utility knife, Allen wrenches, Specialty tools for your water, your gas, stuff like that. Let's talk about a handful of consumables. I think you should probably, again, right tool for the right job, right, Rich? Yeah, well, like you said earlier, don't take a, a number one screwdriver and think you're going to use it as a chisel. That's not what it's designed to do. Use the tool for what it's designed to do. Yep, so I'm going to say have some electrical tape. Uh, if you got to tape up wires, anything, and don't use electrical tape to take, tape up boxes when you move or wrap Christmas presents with or whatever, I'd... I don't know. Use it for what it's intended for. Uh, you should probably have... Go ahead. I was going to say, man, can I can I give a personal endorsement? And we need to... I want to send you the link to this, uh, Justin, because I... And again, they're not a sponsor of the show, but I want to give you what it took me 50 years to learn as a really, really good set of gloves. I'm a big fan. Uh, it's a it's called Grease Monkey is the brand. It's touchscreen uh, uh, compatible. And they're called tool handlers. And I'm on like my second or third set over the past several years, man. They are absolutely phenomenal general duty gloves. I can work on a car with them. I can do carpentry, woodworking. I can work moving brush on the farm, mending fences. They are just amazing all-around gloves. And when somebody calls me, 
I can still use my iPhone because uh, they're touchscreen compatible. So you can't go wrong, man. And they're they're not that expensive, like 10 bucks for a pair. I need you to send me a link to those. So I recommended Mechanics Gloves a few minutes ago, and here's why. So the pair of gloves I have is the best pair of gloves I've ever had. The back of the hand is kind of this elasticy material. The palm is this, man, the softest leather you've ever seen with padding in certain places. And it's a no-name brand that I bought at a feed store. Probably not of our, a lot of a whole lot of our listeners realize this, but I've kind of lived a bunch of lives. And I for a while, I had horses and kind of lived on a farm where I had this huge garden and chickens and ducks and turkeys and all this stuff. Um, I bought these no-name gloves at this tiny little feed store. And I actually ended up going back and buying two or three more pairs. Uh, but I don't live there anymore. And... I'm down to my last pair of those gloves, and I don't know what I'm going to do when they're gone, but maybe I'll try those grease monkeys and see what's up. And what I love about this episode is, you know, we're sharing some practical stuff with the listener, but also it's making me think of other stuff. Like another episode we need to do is the tools you should keep on your truck, because this is a good bag that we're talking about here to keep in your home or your apartment or wherever. But there's also tools that are probably more germane to be in someone's truck. And I, I keep, I'm such a glove weirdo. I don't like touching stuff with my hands if I don't have to, especially stuff that are that are sharp. So I keep these in my car. I keep them on a pair of these gloves in every car I got and at home next to my tools. So yeah, we, we man, we definitely need to do a show about the the crap you keep in your car. And you know what? We're uh, we're pretty long into this recording, so I'm just going to call this here, and I'm going to say we're going to make this a two parter, and we're going to come back with what you need in your intermediate intermediate toolkit. And those are some pretty important things. Um, however, if you're like, fuck this podcast, these dudes ramble too much, uh, which is pro- probably fair, probably fair <laughs> criticism. Um, and this is all you get of this podcast. Go out and buy those tools. And man, you will be exactly 97% better off than you were before you did that. Like this, Like this is real stuff, man. Like this is the basic things you need to be able to take care of yourself as a human being in the world and not have to call somebody else for everything and not have to live with stuff in a state of disrepair. I can't stand seeing things in a state of just disrepair, just being let go. It drives me. I know I sound like a grandpa. I'm really not that old, but dude, take care of your stuff, man. And here, you know, while I'm on this rant, you know, what really bugs me is it seems like to me, the people that are most likely to let their stuff go and get out of repair and all, and then be broken and unworkable are usually the people that can least likely afford to buy new crap. Usually it's the people that, yeah, I'm going to use a, a, I'm not going to say who this person is. It's a family member that I have, I've stayed at this person's house a few times when I'm, when I'm around home or whatever and the vacuum cleaner. So this is like, I'm not a vacuum cleaner snob, but here's what I do know. That little canister's full. You got to empty that thing out. It just doesn't work if it's full. Uh, you got to empty that thing out. And also, it has a level on it that says this is like the max fill. But this person will use that vacuum cleaner until that thing is absolutely packed solid with that stuff, which is really, really bad for that vacuum cleaner. It's not efficient for it. Air doesn't flow through well. The, the engine has to work harder. And that's also the person, I also know that that person has bought probably two, uh, I think two vacuum cleaners in like the last three years. I don't understand why my vacuums keep breaking. <laughs> I got an idea. And, yeah. And I th- also the person that absolutely cannot afford a new vacuum cleaner. It's like, just take care of your stuff. Yeah. We have, with my kids, I don't have many rules for my kids cause I want them to be kids. I don't want to be a helicopter parent and, and stifle any kind of creative juice, but we got a couple things, you know, make good grades and take care of your stuff. That's it. And I try to explain to him, you know, uh, what goes into purchasing this for you. And if you just take care of it, it'll last you a long time because we don't buy cheap stuff. We try to buy good quality uh, stuff for these for for the family, you know. But did we did we cover all the consumables? Oh crap! No, we did not. So we said electrical tape. That's probably the least useful one of all of these. Well, I don't know. It's pretty useful. Um, I'd say also you probably want some duct tape. That's kind of cliche, but duct tape is really, really useful. And I'll go one further and say Gorilla brand tape, which is incredibly strong, first of all. And the glue is really, really sticky. The adhesive 
Um, don't use it on any like wooden surface or anything that needs to be pretty afterward, but that's going to be a really solid tape for you. Um, and then probably a couple different glues. I love Gorilla Glue. What, what, yeah, do you like the kind that you have to use water with it? Uh, yeah, like you're supposed to, the wood's supposed to be moist or whatever. Mm-hmm. Dude, mm-hmm. that stuff will glue any two objects together permanently. Like I'm telling you, the glue is so strong. The wood will break. The objects will break before, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could glue two bowling balls together, and you'll break those damn bowling balls before you break that bond. Yeah, that's what we use for the woodworking here. Uh, we got to make an... <laughs> I thought you were yeah. going to say that's what you used to glue bowling balls together. <laughs> no. And I will tell you, just to, to borrow on your analogy, if, it, if it's if it got to move and it don't and all that stuff, and if it's supposed to move and it doesn't, WD-40, right, as far as another consumable? Oh, man. I can't believe I did not have WD-40 on this list. Actually, I sent you a picture, like a top-down view of my tool bag earlier, and there's a can of WD-40 in there. Absolutely, you need WD-40. Yeah, and I think... To go back to what you were saying uh, a little while ago, as far as the purpose behind this episode, you know, putting together a basic toolkit and us walking down the steps and and the things that we discussed in this hour and something episode is all the things that you need to do, would you say, 80% of the stuff that you're going to encounter? Because this show, as we said at the the very first episode, right, Justin, is for the generalists. The big 80% of the bell curve, right? Not the stuff on the tails of the bell cur- of the curve, but that big fat middle, right? That's absolutely right, man. Not those, yeah, not those outliers. We are, we are shooting for the things that we are likely to encounter and that require minimal opportunity cost to fix ourselves, right? Bingo. Are we closing this out? What are we doing? Um, you know what? I got to throw in a plug for wood glue because... I do like a little bit of finer woodworking and I am a big fan of wood glue when the task calls for wood glue. You you know what? That's kind of getting into specialist stuff. If you've got Gorilla Glue, it will work. Here's the thing with Gorilla Glue though. It does expand. Uh, so use less than you think you need, first of all. And secondly, be prepared for that expansion to come out the side of whatever and be like this big hardened mass that you can kind of just take your utility knife that you should have already bought to trim that flashing off. Well, and we use uh, Gorilla Glue makes a wood glue product. I don't know if you've ever used it, but we use it for the woodworking. Okay. I I haven't tried that. So honestly, man, I use so much wood glue. I have two of like, I don't know, Elmer's wood glue, whatever, whatever, like the standard, I don't know, 20 ounce, 16 ounce bottle of wood glue Mm -hmm. is, but I filled both of those bottles back up probably a dozen times a piece because I buy a a gallon of the cheap wood glue at Lowe's and just like refill that. You are a frugal franny, my man. All right. Before we close this out, let's talk about the book of the week. The book this week, the book of the week this week, man, Rich, I've had too many drinks. The week of the book this month is <laughs> the week of the book. <laughs> the book of the week this week is Hunting El Chapo. And this is a little bit of a departure. Generally, I like to kind of go with something maybe a little more philosophical. So Hunting El Chapo is written by the DEA agent who was kind of instrumental in bringing this guy to justice for his first, I'm sorry, his second arrest. His first arrest was, I don't know, like 12, 15 years ago, got arrested a second time, ended up getting out, but they caught him shortly thereafter. So, um, Here's some things I didn't like. At the start of the book, the guy spends a lot of time talking about how bad he wanted to be a Kansas highway patrolman, how pissed off he was when he was not accepted, how he drove his Harley into a bar and and burned rubber and made everybody choke on his smoke and whatever. And I was really turned off by that. I'm like, what a douche. Uh, And he's kind of unapologetic about it, quite honestly. But once we got into the book, I'll be honest, it turned around. He gave a lot of credit to his leadership, to his partners, to people in other agencies. I I thought it ended up being a a really well-done book. Uh, He took some credit, which I think he absolutely should have, and not unduly. It really details the story of what went into this investigation, some challenges they faced, and some danger that this agent accepted by choosing an assignment in Mexico City and bringing his whole family down there, which I thought was pretty ballsy, quite honestly. Uh, If you're looking for an exciting read, an entertaining read about an actual real world modern day manhunt, check out 
Hunting El Chapo. We'll make sure there's a link to that in the show notes. All right, Justin. I know we went a little long, but I think it was worth it. And hopefully the listeners feel it was worth it also. And guys, if you're enjoying the show, you can uh, subscribe to the show. We'd like for you to do that. Just scroll to the bottom and leave us a review while you're subscribing because the iPhone has made it real easy to do that. You can also hit the share button and send it to somebody who needs to get their own damn tools and stop borrowing your freaking tools. The next thing I tell you is if if you want to call us and write us and tell us how we screw this up, go ahead and send it to rich at acrossthepeak.com, and I would love to entertain what you got to say. And don't worry, I will share it with Justin as well. Anything else you want to tell the folks before we jump off here? No, man. I think that's it. All right, guys. See you next time at Across the Peak. You've been listening to the Across the Peak podcast. Be sure to visit acrossthepeak.com for show notes and bonus content. Until then, be safe. And if you can't be safe, be dangerous.